Hi, welcome to our podcast round here. Uh, we will be discussing different spooky things from around this area in which we live in. The Brazoria County area of Texas. My name is Brandy. I'm the mom. I'm Lily. I'm the youngest, cutest one. I'm Elora. I'm the eldest one. about the unidentified remains called Princess Blue that were found in Manville on September 10th, 1990. Okay, so, um, September 10th, 1990 on the County Road 101 east of Highway 288 in in Brazoria County, around 5 p.m., there was a man traveling home from work. He was drowsing. He needed a single bed. So he pulled off on this side of the road in this little off-road thingy that ended in a, in a uh, dead end. It was like a, it was like a half dilapidated like wire blockade, like a barbed wire blockade, and he saw something shiny. Another thing said that, uh, something I read said that he was, like, he bottled with the cans or something like that, but I feel like that's, like, only one tiny little bit. I don't think that's what he would do. I think he saw something shiny. He went over or around the blockade thing, and he found There are a couple of different ways that this is said, how the remains are found. Anyway, okay, so he sees his tire and he sees a skull on it. And then um, there are other skeletal remains around. Some articles, some news articles, and some reports, even like words from like uh, police officers and stuff differ from what the actual uh, remains looked like when they were found. Maybe they were fully skeletal? No, the fully skeletal was pretty obvious from the beginning, but one thing says the skull was on top and the remains were, the rest of the body was underneath the tire, which lends to the thought of things being placed specifically. There was, um, the skull was on the tire, and the remains were sort of off to the side, which sort of sounds like maybe laid out with head resting on tire. Then other people say that it was a debris place, and the remains were just sort of mixed in with everything. But there's a pretty consistent story of the head being on the tire. Or was there any evidence for the, the bones being? No, I don't know that they, um, we'll get to, like, testing and stuff like that, but I don't actually, I don't think that there was actually any statements that said that all of the bones were tested compared to each other, so 
I'm just assuming, since they didn't say specifically that he didn't, that they were all tested against each other in that case. So anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent. I'm sorry. I have a lot of information floating in my head about this, and it was really hard to sort of piece all of this jumbled information together. Um, okay, so he kind of freaked out. Instead of calling the police, it was 1990s. This had been really silly and all kinds of things. So he went home, talked to his wife, and they together called the Brazoria County um, Sheriff's Department. Yeah. Now, the site was um, referred to a couple of times as like a commonly known dump site. For like trash or bodies? <laughs> trash. <laughs> that would be disconcerting. Anyway. Um... A Tolson, sorry, I'm reading about the pronouns, but a, uh, I think a Deputy Tolson or Sheriff Tolson, I'm so sorry, I don't know the specific um, title that he has. Anyway, he, they had the remains uh, taken to the Harris County Medical Examiner's Office because at that time, Brazoria County didn't have a medical an autopsy because it was so small. Manville especially was like only had like three thousand people. Manville's full of people. Yeah, it has like ten thousand people or so now, but it was very like sparsely populated. Um, there were there was no wallet, no purse, no clothes or shoes, and no hair. of identification, and approximately 60% of the remains were recovered. So, they didn't look at all of them? The Harris County Medical Examiner, uh, this this description were, was part of the autopsy report. It's just like a summarized version. goes into the bones. Too. Yeah, they, they tested the bone marrow. Two of her ribs were fractured. It is unknown if this was related to her death. Okay. Um, also part of the examination, it was concluded that she was Hispanic or of Hispanic descent, that she was 15 to 19 years old, and that she was 4'8 to 5'2 in height. And obviously just a little person. A little Female. woman. Um, it was also, they could not find a cause of, a cause of death, and in the actual report, the jewelry, uh, that was described as being near her body, but also, at some point, was also described as being on her fingers and wrist. The, um, the jewelry was mentioned, but not described. It was just, like, property... You know, parentheses, jewelry on decedent. That's kind of odd if all of her clothes and stuff were missing, but they left her jewelry on. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like a lot of times remains. Um, Usually the jewelry is the trophy. Sure, if it's some sort of, you know, foul yeah. play. Uh, okay. The estimated time of death was somewhere between six months <coughs> to a year prior to the discovery of oh, wow. the Uh, and this was September in Texas, so it was there all through July and August and June, the hottest parts of Texas, in this part of Texas. So the decomposition rate was probably really, really high. So yeah. I, I think that's why they had such a big window. The weather and stuff around here would just... Further decomp pretty fast, I think. I mean, I'm not an expert. And this is the report, like the description that oh, the um, investigator or the detective or the sergeant or whoever, Tolson, it's the only information that was that was given out to the media. Okay, according to a brief Houston Chronicle article that ran three days later. Tolson characterized the girl as Hispanic or white. He said that she had. He said she had knee problems, and he said she wore a silver ring with a turquoise unicorn on her right hand and a beaded bracelet on her right arm. So she was a young woman, like like unicorns, because you know young adults or whatever don't wear unicorn rings. I mean, some probably do. Uh, yeah, okay, so the remains ended up... Unicorns are for all ages. The remains ended up at the University of North Texas Science Center in Fort Worth, Texas, which runs the Texas Missing Persons DNA database, which feeds info to CODIS, which is the combined DNA index system used by the FBI to identify people through DNA. Okay, all was quiet for a long time, and then in 2006, the case was reopened by, um, Sherlock Holmes? No, it's like, uh, honestly, it was kind of like somebody get curious, curious, somebody, uh, what's his name, uh, I think Richard Rosser? Somebody got curious and opened the evidence bag. I mean, that doesn't sound like a great thing that somebody just gets curious and what's in this bag? Oh, but that's kind of how I read it, how like several times it was like, and somebody just opened this bag of evidence or this well, I guess envelope if he's an of evidence. Sure. And he's in charge of evidence. It was just it was hard to piece these pieces of information together because it was like at the same time these sort of things happen at the same time and I couldn't find a good timeline of how these things fell together because it said that like web sleuths you know like online crime amateur detectives mm -hmm. were taking an interest in the case and also at the same time this dude opened an envelope and found a piece of evidence that was pretty important but these two things i can't find which happened first and which the envelope was in which. a police evidence room yeah huh so okay so i'm just gonna go with the police part first 
somebody, I think it was Richard Rosser, but I'm not really sure. Like I said, this, the information, unless you're like really, really doing a deep dive into Reddit and web sleuths and all that, which I just don't have the full brain for. There's too much. It's too much. I mean, and people are always throwing in ideas and... Half you of it's conspiracy theories. Yeah. So I was trying to stick with the actual factual things and... Um, actual factual. So, <laughs> yes. a police officer opened the envelope. He had read over notes, the very few notes that were taken, like a paragraph worth of notes. Because... This Tolson guy, apparently, uh, just going on what I read, apparently barely took notes and apparently only ever interviewed the man that found the remains. Never even searched out this woman's family. Well, it I mean, like they didn't really care about figuring out what happened. It kind of seemed that way, and no, there wasn't a lot to go on, but when he opened the envelope, he found this school, this class ring from 1975 from the uh, Robert E. Lee High School from Houston, which is a pretty big freaking lead. Those kind of rings can, if you, depending on how they're, they can tell you exactly who it belongs to. It's possible. I mean, it's at least something to mention, but in none of the reports was this ring mentioned until 2006. That date, that's that puts 16 date, years later. That puts where she went to high school and the date she graduated. Possibly, but not in this case. Actually, if she was found in 1990, they said that she was 15, 16 years old, so she would not have been, well, I mean, she would well, I mean, she was born, but she wouldn't have been old enough to. Oh, so the ring wasn't finished. That's another bit of, like, not conspiracy theory, but a piece of conjecture is whether or not the ring was with her or just got picked up with her, since it was a place for things to get thrown out. But so it's really kind of an odd thing. Yeah, um, but okay, we'll get to that. Um, okay, yeah, so the ring had a sapphire in it, had a blue stone, um, the blue stone being the sapphire, and the, shush, the web sleuth sort of uh, named her Princess Blue, since they didn't have, I would think that the turquoise, bleh, Okay, one of the rings was a turquoise horse. Oh, I said, we said that already, didn't we? Turquoise unicorn Yeah, okay. Anyway, um, yeah, so they dubbed her Princess Blue since she didn't have a name. And, I mean, like, these people have gone, since they got a hold of the ring, they, like, just took over. I mean, they, like, wrote out a, like, a letter and just start like found addresses for people that graduated in 1975 from the Lee High School and started sending out like papers and and flyers basically to these all these people to, Good. to try to find her because um okay 
So I'm getting ahead of myself. She's somebody's family member. I know. Somebody's baby. Yeah, she's somebody's baby and she just went away. Yeah, um, yeah, new interest was caught in, the, or was brought up in the case when in August of 2006, a crime writer and online amateur detective in the California area um, calls asking about the Princess Blue, or she was known, she just used the case number from the Texas Department of Public Safety, um, case number U03100014, so she used that case number. Anyway. The librarian <clears throat> found it strange that somebody just out of the blue, yeah, came along asking questions. It kind of seemed suspicious. So the web, suspicious. the web mystery, mysterious solvers. Mysterious solvers. Mystery solvers. Detective, my brain was just like. <laughs> Okay, so the librarian called the uh, Brazoria County Sheriff's Department and got in touch with Richard Rosser, who then got in touch with a retired Sergeant Jay Kaufman of the Manville PD. And Kaufman basically just jumped on board full-time to try to solve this thing, to try to figure it out. They took the ring to a jeweler, and it was. It, they figured that it figured out that it was a size nine and a half, but it had been sized up twice from a woman's seven and a half, which just is even stranger. I mean, I. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> Either somebody gained a bunch of weight in their hands. To, yeah, to me, in my experience, when you can't wear a ring anymore, you just stop wearing it. But So it sort of seems like it was a pretty, to somebody, it was a, a pretty important ring. Because people who just lived from paycheck to paycheck, lived day to day, lived basically in Menville in that time period, weren't going to spend the money, yeah, to size up a class ring unless it's super duper important to them. Unless that's the the best the the best thing they ever did in their mind, mm -hmm. if that's the biggest accomplishment they ever made, right? Or it somebody gave it to them who is really really important to them, yeah. and you know, yeah. So that I I felt the uh, sizing up was was strange to me because, um, anyway, uh, the ring company they did contact the ring company. Balfour, that, you know, everybody uses these days. But it did not keep, or they, it did not have um, records from 1975. However, this is like 30 years later. If they had found the ring and contacted the people, this is 15 years after the ring was found, which is 30 years after the ring was, was, was made. Made. Saved. That's how it goes. The ring is 30 years old. If they had contacted the company when they found the ring, they would have been 15 years closer to maybe getting information about it than, you know, trying to figure yeah, out 30 years you later. You can't ever expect a company like that to keep 30-year-old records. Right. Especially when it's not in a digital age. Yeah. 
Um, okay. So the Kaufman and Kaufman and Rosser turned to the media with a ring for help. And that's, yeah, that's when the web sleuths, they really took interest and worked really hard and contacted all the people of 75. And, okay, the University of North Texas Science Center in Fort Worth, Texas, they, they re-evaluated. They did an extensive examination of the remains, and they found that she was not Hispanic. She was Caucasian with probability of some African-American traits on her maternal side, like either her mother or her grandmother. And her age at the time of death was somewhere between 17 to 21, and her height was somewhere between 4'11 and 5'3, which was basically the same. She was slight to medium build. A Texas Ranger forensics artist made a drawing based on her skull shape. I have pictures of the composite. These are the pictures that they, based on the, her skate, her, her skull and shape, th this is what they, the face they gave her. So after 30 years, she has sort of a face, a guesstimated face. She was potentially pretty. Sure she was. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do justice to this because this is a case that deserves to have facts told about it, not yeah. just a whole bunch of conjecture mixed together. Yeah, the the shape of how it. I think is that's reference what, photos of the jewelry that was found on her. Or this, this, this is the, the actual jewelry. jewelry that was found on her. Wow! But like this bit was just completely omitted from any conversation. Until, how could they completely leave out that ring? I don't know. It's like they just didn't. Didn't. This just care. completely discounted it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's uh, it's like a. Most of that jewelry actually, to me, looks like the kind of jewelry that you buy when you go to a souvenir shop. Yeah. I mean, like a Western souvenir shop. Yeah, or I mean, basically just any kind of souvenir shop. It's the turquoise with the silver. Plated, maybe I don't know. And the way it the might be sterling silver. That style is generic. They called these the the stones. They called them diamonds, but I don't I don't know. Nobody ever specified whether they were diamonds or not. So the only things that were really specified as uh, actual stones were the turquoise and the horse or unicorn, whichever it is. I don't know, it's really hard to tell. Unicorn. And the sapphire. And the sapphire in the ring because, you know, um, Balfour generally uses mm -hmm. stone. These are the other rings, a band and, and She came with a lot of jewelry. Yeah, she liked to wear, she liked her bling. That would be a ring I would and wear. this they described as a bead bracelet. That's seed pearls. Yeah, those are natural pearls. Not the, not the uniform round ones. Uh, yeah, so um, 
They tried to contact Tolson, Kaufman, and Rosser. Tried to talk to the original investigator who had stopped being a police officer and started being a truck driver. Probably because he wasn't good. On Mars! <laughs> a truck driver on Mars. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, um, he had moved away and become a truck driver, and he was on the road, so they couldn't get in contact with him, but when they talked to his wife, his wife was basically just, yeah, he won't talk to y'all, he doesn't give a crap. I mean, she didn't say he doesn't give a crap, she just said, oh, he don't know nothing, and, like, was kind of laughing about it, like, it was Dude, a joke. That, that police officer's kind of fishy. I don't know if he's... I don't know if he's fishy or sketch or if he's just incompetent. I think he just didn't care. Sus? I don't know. I get irritated by it. Is that an Among Us thing? Yeah, I don't know. It's like people got too bored with actually completing the word. So they use sus. No! It's suspicious or the shortest firm, the shortest form. That Acceptable. I will accept. <laughs> it's suspicious. It's suspicious. Because of Bailey, sir. Because of Bailey. <laughs> no, I was just saying that. I know. So, yeah. Um, he, Tolson had made very few notes and had seemed not to have interviewed, I already said that, anyone but the man who found the body. Kaufman and Rosser were really frustrated with that. Whose turn is it to read? Mine. Okay. It's big. Not a five-year-old mom. I can read. Can you? Yes. These are the ones that. This is a a quote from. I can read better than you can. No. Let mama speak. This is a quote from a uh, homicide and forensic uh, expert, who's like whose book that he wrote is like the Bible for forensic science. Apparently. He said this about the. Basically, the the in- investigation that happened. I can't think of a reasonable explanation why the high school ring would not be put out there to the public. Says Vernon Gibbons, a consultant in homicide and forensic case investigations for authorities in the U.S. and Canada. Gibber was a member of the. U- of the New York Police Department from 1965 to 1987, retiring as the commanding officer for the Bronx Homicide Task Force. So that's over 20 years. Just to show how long he was on the job. Yo. It's been a traditional practice in law enforcement, in law enforcement to withhold information about the case so only you and the actual killer know what has happened. Gebert says, says, but if I have an unidentified body, my biggest quandary is the identification of the deceased because I don't have a base for my investigation investigation unless I know who I am investigating. So basically, one of the foremost authorities on investigations said he has no idea why they would have kept the information about the class ring from the public. And that's why the police officer looks fishy to me. Yeah. Because, like, 
That's a bit too much negligence to be just because he's bad. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. At that time, uh, a an active killer in the area named Roy Allen Stewart was questioned about the remains, but and shown he was showed the uh, shown the likeness. Far as I could, you know. Anyway, the composite pictures, and he said that he didn't do anything. He didn't know why he was in jail. He didn't know why people, even though he was somebody who had been caught red-handed and was convicted several times of, and accused like several her. times of abuse and, you know, terrible, terrible things. Uh, he still was like saying that he didn't do anything, and he was denying any kind of knowledge or anything to do with her. So, he said, I couldn't have done it because I was in prison in blah, blah, blah in a certain place, but the investigators found out that he actually wasn't in prison then. As far as I can tell, they couldn't prove that he did anything and he wasn't ever really a solid suspect. I feel like maybe he could have been a little looked more into. He's a little bit guilty. I mean, he's guilty of something, but I don't know about that. Okay, so, around 2018, a Detective Sergeant Anthony Meschel uh, became involved in the case. He, he like, between 26, 2006 and all that business, nothing really happened with it. They couldn't find any more leads. It, again, turned into a cold case. So, around 2018, Meschel gets involved. In 2019, an unidentified, the unidentified remains of another woman called the Corona Girl, because she was wearing a Corona beer shirt, uh, they were looking for a DNA match for those remains, and they found a DNA match for Princess Blue. Danny Davis, in 2019... In 2019, a man named Danny Davis gave his DNA because he was searching for his sister named Julie. I can't believe I've read this so many times and I can't believe I'm starting to get emotional about it. She had gone missing when she was when he was 17 and she was 18 and his DNA matched those of the remains known as Princess Blue. My God, why am I getting emotional about this? Did you have siblings? It's a name he had never heard of before. He had no idea that there was this search for the name and the identity for this person. So he wasn't uh, the only one looking at looking for him. No. Julie Gwynn Davis was the oldest of six kids. She was born October 21st, 1968. She was described by her family as a free spirit. She had wavy, strawberry, blonde hair. Oh, good God. And I read one thing that said she had green eyes, but a comment from the family said that she had brown eyes and freckled, pale skin. She was about 5'9". And a little bit taller petite. Than yeah, but she was petite. And she had a Libra tattoo that she was very proud of on her forearm. And she, ugh, 
She always wore a treasured, treasured pearl bracelet that was given to her by her mother. Mmm! <laughs> her, her siblings described her as gentle, kind-hearted, and said she loved to laugh and gave fabulous hugs. <clears throat> Sorry. Empathy is strong with this house. <laughs> I've read this information so many times that I've even told this story, like, to Carrie and to your dad, and I didn't get emotional, but, like, reading this stuff about the family, it's hard. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay, her family was said to live a nomadic life. They moved around a bit and like quite a bit in the place in Orange, Texas, where they sort of, I guess, lived. And I don't know if that's where they were from, but that's where they were at the time. That's where they were basically stationed. Yeah. Um, Which is probably one of the reasons why it was so hard to identify her. Yeah. I can't believe I'm getting so freaking emotional. But this is her when she was like 13. She was pretty. Jeez Louise, oh, come on, Brandon, get it together. Boy. Ah, oh, they got the same, like, jaw shape. <laughs> <laughs> they got yeah. the jaw shape. It looks like she has different colored eyes. I think she does. That one looks green and that one looks brown. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't even notice that. She's a cute little redhead. It might be the exposure, though, but yeah. Well, the original, yeah, the original photo that they had, this is, like, the only photo that any of the family seems to have of her, this is the only one that is ever shown. So she has a face, but she has that, you know, that one face. Uh, okay. Uh, um, times were apparently difficult with six kids and both parents working. Around the age of 12, Julie began leaving home and going to uh, places like Houston and New Orleans, just traveling on her own, I guess. I don't know. They didn't really talk about that much. Huh? Julie. Julie. Julie girl. Uh, she also, I read like one place, then they didn't really expand on this. This doesn't seem to have been talked about much, which kind of seems like an important detail. She apparently had a blood disorder that required a transfusion by the age of 21. Seems kind of like an important detail that could have been talked about a little bit more because mm -hmm. maybe that could have contributed to her demise. Maybe it wasn't anything foul play at all. To her. Maybe she was just ill. Maybe it was related to the possible growing tumor on one of her legs. Maybe. I don't know. Um, and, yeah, in uh, 1985... She officially left home. She was uh, about the age, about 18 or so. I, I saw like one place or a couple of places where it said that she sent a letter around somewhere in 85 or 86. The family said that she sent a letter to her aunt or her aunt in New Orleans, but like nobody's given the letter. Or it's like they don't have the letter, they just have the memory of the letter having been sent around that time. Because, I mean, 
If it's just a letter, you don't think to keep it, knowing you don't know that it's the last correspondence that you'll have yeah. physically of that person. Except us, because we're hoarders. <laughs> <laughs> um. In 1986, she was thought to have gotten married to a man that her um, sister describes as, because her sister seems to be like the only person that remembers it, one of her sisters. And uh, he's described as a uh, tall with a dark dark hair and a full dark beard, and he was standoffish, but they don't have his that name. tall over there. Yeah. And... <laughs> He said he was described oh. as a tall with a He's big beard. Described as a tall. <laughs> Look at that tall over there. <laughs> well, it works. Uh, he was a tall man. 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 But nobody knows his name, and there was uh, talk that he was from Houston. Possibly. But that's, like, pretty much all they know of him. Julie went to visit them, uh... At a place that they were staying, in 1985, she introduced this man as her husband, but that's all they know about him. And this is what her brother says about the last time she saw, he saw her, his sister. This would be the last time that they would ever see her. But this visit would leave a lasting impression on Danny Davis, who was 17 years old at the time. Before she left, she hugged him tight and told him she loved him. She broke down in tears as she started to walk away. Seems like she knew she wasn't going to see him again. I do, yeah. That's what I but that, view. That could either be like, you know I'm going to die, or It could just I'm be, leaving. we're, yeah, we're moving away, and... I'm not pulling you away. But it just, they just really didn't seem to have a lot of interaction with her and a lot of contact with her uh, and what the, I read one place there was uh, on websleuths.com there the, the thread that they had for this everybody was excited when she was identified so I kind of was able to read some of those before I forget about it that there was like you said something about um, second DNA That was Danny. That was her brother. That but there was like another girl. That, yeah. Oh, that that wasn't. He had given his DNA to see if it matched this girl to see if it was his sister, but it oh, didn't. Oh, that matched uh, the 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 Corona girl. Okay. But it didn't. They found that it matched Julie. Okay. So it was like serendipity. That's basically the definition of serendipity is when you're looking for one thing or not looking for anything and you find basically a treasure. Yeah, there was a, a timeline on the Web Sleuths thing that labeled all the stuff that I knew, but it says, 1987, Julie was seen by her brother Danny in a WWE event in Louisiana, and I had never read anything about that. I have no idea. I cannot find anything other than in this timeline on the Web Sleuths thread that says anything about that. And that instance would have happened after their goodbye? Yeah. Hmm. But he still says, I mean, as far as I can tell, he still says that's the last time he saw her was when she walked away. Well, you know how 
sometimes stories can get a little bit stretched. Yeah. I, I don't know. When a lot of people are trying to tell it. Uh, yeah. So. Big giant game of Mm-hmm. The last known contact of her was in New Orleans on July 12th, 1985. Oh, so, birthday. Yeah. Well, I wasn't born then. So that's, she... They had, that's how they have her listed as officially missing, is on July 12th, 1985. And that's the story of Princess Blue. Uh, to this day, it is unknown how she died. It is unknown how she got in the debris field in Manville, Manville Texas. It is unknown where she was, who she was with. They say that the investigation is ongoing, that they won't give up till they find find yeah. out, but... They found out the who, now they have to find out the, find out the how. Right, but this has been going on for like 30 years. But... There have it, been cases. Yeah, I mean, they have gotten this far. I mean, they never thought they would find a, a name for her and a face for her, and they did. Mm-hmm. And they, they only found out this new information recently, so... They're probably finding new information after finding out who she was. Yeah. This allows them to look further into it. It got past that first step. Is it, who is it, is it you reading next? Yeah. This is a quote from her brother. To be honest with you, I don't think she died naturally. No one is going to walk down a dead end, a dead end road, jump over a guard line, and drop dead. Jamie said, regardless of what it takes, I want to work to find to find out who took my sister's life, if that depends. Ew, if that happens to be the case, I want them to pay for their crimes. Poor guy. Yeah. He was, yeah, I saw an interview. Um, ABC 13 does this unsolved, like, little snippets. One of the, I don't, I didn't write her name down, but one of the journalists does a uh, investigations on unsolved cases, and she after they, you know after they did one on Princess Blue before it was, she was identified, and then after she was identified, they talked to him, and even thirty years later, he's talking to her and he's like just crying and breaking down and yeah, it's you know it's horrible. So that's his older sister. If you don't know, then you at least have a little bit of hope. Yeah. That, and it, he said at one point, he said that um, he had a hard time believing that it was her that they found until they told him that it was a DNA match because he just didn't want to believe it. Because, like, up until then, she could have still been alive. Yeah. For all he knew. Yeah. You always have hope. Hope that they just kind of decided to up and move somewhere, possibly. There are other uh, things that I could read that are basically just heartstrings being pulled and stuff. We're going to light a candle for Julie. Okay, so at the end of our true crime episodes, we are going to... We decided. You know, we decided to show respect for the victims. We are going to write their names on a tea light candle 
and light it and wish their spirit and their soul peace. Ooh. <laughs> okay. So, here we go. And, I mean, I think it would be sort of ideal if anybody, if you listen regularly and if you feel like this is something that gels with you and your beliefs and your sensibilities or whatever, please join us. Every fourth episode, we'll be doing a true crime episode. So at the end of that episode, we will be lighting a candle for the victims just to wish them peace. It doesn't even have to be a fresh candle. Right. Just doesn't even work. Um, it's the intention behind it. Yeah. Yeah, it's always the intention. Or like, I was thinking about it, like, Yeah. <laughs> okay, so is this candle? It's for Julie. Julie, Julie. Julie Gwen Davis. We hope you find peace wherever you are. We wish peace for your family. There are Cases you can contact if you have any information because this case is still unsolved. There yes. is still somebody out there who knows what happened to her. If you have any information concerning what happened to Julie Quinn Davis, formerly known as Princess Blue, you can contact the Manville Police Department at 281-489-1212 and speak to Anthony Meschel. I believe that number sends you to a dispatcher, but that dispatcher can patch you through. Uh, I know this because I just read some things. I didn't do it personally, but I read some comments and um, saw a video where several people have done that. They've called in to verify that the identification had been made and they were patched through to this person. So please, if you have any information... Her family deserves answers. Yeah, her family deserves answers. Her, her siblings, both of her parents have passed. They passed before they knew what happened to her, before she was found. Nobody knows how she died. Nobody knows how she got to where she, her final resting place. I mean, this isn't her final resting place. There, the last I heard, her family is, a, uh, is still trying to raise money to have her buried. There's a group for her. On, I mean, yeah, there's a, a, a page for her on Facebook called Where is Julie Gwen Davis? They know, I mean, they've updated it to where she is. You know, they know that she's been found. I know I'm stumbling through this. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't really write this out to say it, to say it properly. But um, they have a GoFundMe page that I'll post the link to in the description and on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> and speaking of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, you can find us on Twitter at RoundHerePC. You can find us on Instagram at RoundHerePodcast, and you can find us on Facebook at RoundHerePodcast. And our email is RoundHerePodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. 
Please leave comments and reviews and maybe some, some suggestions on other stories or people you'd like us to talk about. Just feedback in general. Basically, let us know that you're there. and Something that might be cool is you could, you know, contact us, tell us, like, if you wanted to say something or something else. That's true. Yeah, if you have anything you'd like to say on if, behalf of them. If you do light a candle, share the picture with us. We'd love to see it. Yeah. Put a uh, hashtag candle for Julie. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hashtag candle for Julie. Hashtag candle for Julie. Hashtag candle for Julie. Okay. Are we done? We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We are new at this, so we're apologize. Meh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We are new at this, so things are still a little choppy and we are still learning. But thank you for joining us for the ride. If you enjoy listening to us be silly and chat about silly things, then please subscribe and follow and leave us a comment. But again, we are new, so please be kind. Thank you.